want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is where we'll be for most of our, our time this morning. And I do want you to be aware that next week we'll begin a study in the book of Titus. And so if you'd like to study ahead this week, you can begin studying the book of Titus. We'll be focusing on the church. Uh, so move this a little bit. So I hope you will, you will do that. I want to speak to you, the children, for just a moment as we begin this morning. I want you to know that we're glad. If you're a child, we're glad that you're in here and that you're worshiping with us. The important part of the message, that the important thing I want you to learn from the message this morning is that the way that you love God and that you love Jesus is by obeying his commandments. This is how we love God and we love Christ Jesus, that we obey him that we follow him. And the other aspect of this is that when we mess up, when we don't do everything just right, Jesus, because he loves us, because he's died for us, he forgives us of our sins. He forgives us. And so, children, this morning, what I want you to do, if you're drawing or whatever, and there may be older people who are drawing too, if you will draw a picture of you following Jesus of you following Jesus, whatever that looks like to you. This is modern art, and so you can draw a picture of you of you following Jesus this morning, okay? But this is how we love God. We obey his commandments, and when we mess up, he does, he does forgive us. I, I really don't know what New Year's sermons are supposed to look like, um, and so I've thought about, gone through different titles, Your Best Year in 2012, Every Day of Friday in 2012, and none of those just seem to work for me. And so... Um, so this morning I want to look at a framework for Christian living, a framework for all Christian living. While many of us will make New Year's resolutions, uh, at, a quote says, the numbers are against us. About 80% of us, despite our good intentions, fall, fail miserably at keeping them. 80% of us, despite our good intentions, fail miserably at keeping them. This is, was in an article this week. I saw this tweet last night that kind of describes the trouble we can get into our, ourselves into with New Year's resolutions. This guy said, I've got six hours and four minutes to run a marathon, lose 20 pounds, become more emotionally fluent, and pray more. So, <laughs> one poll gave these, this list as the common resolutions for 2012. Spend more time with family and friends. Exercise more. The next one was lose weight, which I thought was interesting that they separated those. Exercise more or lose weight. I guess you can, I don't know how that works but number four quit smoking uh, enjoy life more quit drinking get out of debt learn something new help others or get organized get organized one of the things I thought was interesting as I looked at this list and your list might be something similar it might be entirely different but as I looked at this list one of the things that I noticed and I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here or, or completely negative but our New Year's resolutions are always an attempt to better ourselves, but one of the things I don't think we recognize or at least acknowledge as much is that it, we're trying to get rid of sin. That's the reality. We're getting out of debt because we've spent unwisely, because we've been unfaithful with our money to the Lord. We're trying to lose weight because we have not eaten healthy, because we've not taken care of the body that God has given us. We're 
all of these fall into one of these areas and some in some way spend more time with family and friends in some way we've not set our priorities correctly and we've not honored God with our family and with the relationships that he's given us and and I'm really not trying to be legalistic here but if we look at the foundational things the truth is we've not been faithful to the Lord and we've not sought to love God holistically in every area of our lives and I think one of the reasons that we do not do well at keeping our New Year's resolutions is because we don't acknowledge that very fact, that it is sin, an aspect of sin in our lives, and that we're called to give that to the Lord to seek his forgiveness. What we really need is forgiveness. And so I want to look at some passages today that that teach us about this. In case you're not thinking about New Year's resolutions, you think this is all just a, a hoax or you, it's not necessary, I want you to know there is a biblical precedent for seeking goals like this. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I, I invite you to write that down and maybe look there with me. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, he's speaking of growing in Christ. He's speaking of actually perfection, of, of becoming like Christ And here's what he says, not that I have already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said he's seeking the goal of sanctification, of becoming like Christ. But in order for that to happen, there's something specific that Paul says he does. First, he's single-minded. He focuses on the goal ahead of becoming like Christ. But in focusing on that goal, there's another part that is very important. He forgets the things that are behind. Now, what, what is it that he might be forgetting that's behind? It's not the work of Christ, because if you look at this passage, he's been talking about the work of Christ all along. And so surely he's not talking about forgetting beneficial things, what God has done in his life. What he's talking about are the things that are behind him that he could think on and that would hinder him from striving forward and becoming like Christ. What Paul's talking about in this passage is his former way of life. He's not holding up his own sin in his face and letting his past sin keep him from striving forward and becoming like Christ. You see, the truth is what we really need in becoming like Christ and in honoring God more is we need forgiveness. We need to know that all that we've done in the past, all the wrongs, all the goals that we've set that we've failed miserably at, that God is gracious towards us and that he forgives us. So I hope from this passage you recognize that there is a biblical precedent. We do need to be seeking goals. We do need to be growing holistically in every area of our life. But in order for this to happen, we need to put those things that are behind, behind. And so this morning I want us to focus in on 2 Corinthians 5, one of the most incredible expressions of the gospel, in my opinion. It's just, I love this passage. And so if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. So this is where I want us, want us to be. For 2012 to be different, we must not focus on the hang-ups of 2011 or any other period of your life. If you've got family history that you use as an excuse, you need to get rid of it. You don't need to focus on the past. Whatever other areas of your life you've had a hang-up in, you need to put it behind. Because God has put it behind in his work in us in Christ Jesus. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. You notice the beauty that we behold in Christ when we look on him and then think of the righteousness that he bestows on us? We sing this about Christ, but the beautiful thing is that in Christ, we are God's righteousness. And so we also are beheld in beauty by our own perfect Father, because he has forgiven all your sins. And so as you think about those closest to you, this is what you should constantly hold out to them. Even those who do not know God, you hold them out, you show them that God is calling to them that they might know his grace. And so if you're a spouse and your husband or wife is an unbeliever, this might be so difficult, but this is how they should know the gospel, by you, by your great love for them and by you holding out the gospel to them. And this is how unbelievers will know the gospel in general. As Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. So the mindset, the important mindset that we're to have as we look on the future is that in Christ we are free, they are free. But in Christ you are forgiven, they are forgiven. And this is how we move forward. This is how we are to be sanctified, to grow in Christ, to realize forgiveness, grace, the gospel of grace. God looks on us and sees Christ's righteousness. All of this mindset, the freedom and the forgiveness, leads to our mission. Listen, this is so important that you get the order right. We've got to get the gospel right, the mindset right, before we think about the mission. Because if you go to the mission first, it's all going to be legalism. It's going to be do, do, do. It's going to be set up these goals, these resolutions, and it's all up to you. But if you get the mindset right, that it's by grace, it's in Christ that we're free, then we get to the mission, and then it's all done in love then it's in love. So the mission, and this is going back to what we read earlier this morning as we begin our service, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm not going to give extremely specific things that you should have as your resolutions this year. I'm going to give just a couple of things, but the main thing that I want us to see this morning is that our main mission should be to love God And to love others as we love ourselves. After all, Jesus said in the Gospels, this is the great commandment. This is how you inherit eternal life. Now we know, of course, that it is by grace. But this is to be expressed, the grace that Christ shows us to be lived out through love for God and love for others. I was told and I thought this this was very helpful. If Jesus said that the great commandment was to love God and to love others as we love ourselves then it could also be said that this is the greatest sin. is to not love God and to not love others as we love ourselves. I realize that I have in mind that there is the sin against the Holy Spirit, which is blasphemy. But we need to look at all our resolutions through this lens that when we do not love God, when we're not serving Him holistically, it is sin. It is sin. So let's look at this. First, God, love for God. Love for God with all our hearts, minds, soul, strength. This is verse 27 of Luke chapter 10. What does it mean that we're to love God this way? It means that God wants to be loved holistically. 
We're to love God with our emotions. We're to love God with our soul, with our strength. It means this is to be exercised, lived out in physical ways, and also with our minds. How are you loving God with your mind? How are you serving him with your mind? Some people don't like to talk about reading. They don't like reading, and this is easier for some than others. But this is a very important aspect of the walk with the Lord. Your mind is not going to be filled with the things of God if you're not reading things of God. And if you're not talking about things of God. So I charge you first that God wants to be loved holistically, holistically, every aspect of your life. Next aspect, how do we, the most clear way that we see how God wants to be loved. You know, when we talk about loving others, we, don't, we shouldn't go to ourselves and say, how would I want to be loved? We know this, if, particularly if you're married. Sometimes, different people are loved in different ways. And so when we talk about love for God, how does God desire to be loved? And the most clear picture of this that I see is John chapter 14, verse 15. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Children, this is what we talked about earlier. To love God means that you obey him. God gives us his commandments in love because he knows that they're best for us. So when we don't follow his commandments, we reject his love. See how this works? God's given you these things for your good. He's given them to you because he loves you. This is why parents give commandments to their children most of the time. Most of the time. They give them to them because they love them. And when they don't obey, when we don't obey, it's a rejection of love, of kindness. And so if we are to love God, we must obey him. So the question is, are we humbly walking with God through his word and through prayer and through the church, through his body? The heart of God is known through study of the scriptures. It's known through corporate and individual reading of his word, teaching of his word, and then through prayer. Hear me clearly. As you look at 2012, there is no substitute to know God outside of his word. You must know him through his word and through prayer. You're not going to find another way to know him intimately in this way. And so it should be a goal for you every single year that you learn to know God more through his word and through prayer. Paul said this in Philippians 1.9 to reinforce this point. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. He's speaking of knowledge of God and all discernment. So as one specific resolution this year, I hope that you make it a priority that you know God better at the end of 2012 than you did at the beginning. I hope that you make it a priority that you'll study his word. It doesn't matter if you like to read or not. This is how God has given us to know him. I hope you also make it a priority to teach your children, if you have young children, to teach your children his word. This is an incredible place to start. If you haven't been having some type of family Bible study, then start there. Teach your family God's word. So... The second aspect, so love, our mission is first love for God. He desires to be loved holistically, and he desires that his commandments would be obeyed. But as we love God, this doesn't mean we're going to be perfect at everything. We just need to, we need to keep in mind this, the mindset that we discussed of grace. 
Love for God does not mean we're going to be perfect at everything. It means that we're faithful. I learned this, the best time this came most real for me was in college. I was, I was taking a, I transferred to LSU as a junior, and at the college I was going to, I would take, you know, 17, 18 hours, not because I was smart, but just because you could and you could get by. But as I jumped into LSU, I was brave and thought I would do the same thing. And so jumped into LSU, taking 18 hours with some courses that I, hadn't taken the subject in, in quite some time, and uh, this courses would be, you know, 800-person classroom, and then you would take the test on the computer and those kinds of things, and so I, I remember go, studying hard for this class and just having a lot of difficulty in it, and I would study as hard as I could, give all the effort, and then also I, I would pray. I really would. I would just pray, Lord, please help me here, and uh, I would go take these tests on the computers in a computer lab, people all around, and The test, one of the tests took two hours, and I don't know who came up with the idea that it would be good to give people their grades as soon as they get done with a test like that, but they decided to do that, and so I would take this two-hour test, and then you just press a button, and I mean, you're excited about getting done, but then you know you're about to get this grade, and it's just not exciting, and so I, I took the test, spent all the time on it, and then submitted, and immediately this grade pops up, and it was a 50 and it's not like 50 out of 50. I mean, this was a 50 out of 100. And I had worked so hard. I felt like I'd worked so hard. And then also, I had really spent time praying to the Lord, asking for his grace and his help. And when I submitted that, I, I didn't know whether to scream, cry, say bad words. I didn't know what to do. I was so angry, so angry. And, and so I, I walked away, with, held my emotions until I was able to get out of that room. And then was walk, I remember just walking back to to the dorm I was staying in and just trying to think through, you know, everything and my frustrations. And as I was frustrated, one thing I realized, I I began to pray. And I realized, like, there was just this weird sense of peace. And and as I prayed, I realized, you know what? I worked hard, and I sought to love God and what I was doing. And my love for him at that time, it was a 50. (laughs) It was a 50, and I didn't make an A in that course. I didn't, but I realized that what God called me to was faithfulness. And despite me feeling like I had not done a good job, I was faithful, and God was gracious, and it was okay. It was okay. And this isn't an excuse to say we don't have to work hard and get better. But the point is that love for God does not always mean we're going to be the best at every single thing, and we're going to get glory or anything like that. It just means faithfulness. Surrender to him, and he is gracious. And so that sense of peace that came during the time when I was extremely frustrated was interesting and a great lesson uh, for me. So love for God, faithfulness to God, but then also love for others is what Jesus teaches us in this passage. The second commandment, like it, as Jesus said, love for others as we love ourselves. Now in this particular passage, and the reason I've chosen Luke uh, for to discuss this passage is because Jesus gives us the clear exa- clearest example of what love for others looks like. Only in Luke does this parable occur, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the one application Jesus gives us to this question of who is our neighbor, it might not be as specific as we would like. In fact, it actually reframes the question, puts it back in our court, and says, who will you be a neighbor? To whom will you be a neighbor? Will you be faithful? Will you seek out people to be neighborly towards? You see, this 
lawyer who asks the question is trying to remain comfortable within his own people. He is a Jew. And he wants to be neighbors to just Jews. And what Jesus does and says, absolutely not. And he says, it was the good Samaritan. And this doesn't bring the shock that it would have then. But it's like saying that the atheist does a better job of caring for people than the Christian does. That is the shock that's occurring here. So, what does this mean? Love others as we love ourselves. It means others don't just get our leftovers, but they get what we would do for ourselves. This means we don't spend all our money on ourselves, but we are thinking of others. It means when we have the opportunity to feed someone or to clothe someone, we don't give them the minimal. We give them what we would give for ourselves. We care for them. To be honest, this is an extremely difficult topic that I'm praying through, but I challenge you, how will you love others as you love yourself this year? How will you love others as you love yourself? A few more comments just on this story. Ask things we learned from this story. Loving our neighbor requires loving our enemies. As we said, the lawyer's question is an attempt to stay within the people he's comfortable with. The Samaritan would have been an enemy, to say the least. And so loving our neighbor requires loving people that you may not enjoy their company so much. Loving our neighbor requires monetary sacrifice, which often includes our time. The crazy thing is that it's easier for us to give our money sometimes than it is to give our time. But this is, this is what it took for the Samaritan. If you read the story carefully, you see that he is walking down this dangerous road. And then he stops by and he picks up this person and he puts them on his own means of transportation and he takes them to the inn. And he takes this time to do this. Loving our neighbor will require this. Monetary sacrifice, money, and also time. And it will also often lack glory. It will often lack glory. But the point is that the glory in serving Christ is not to come now, but it's to come later. Friends, we shouldn't be discouraged when our service lacks glory now. Because we should always be looking forward to the glory that God grants us in Christ. And so as you think about 2012, and as you think about your aspirations, I hope it is to glorify Christ by being faithful to Him, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbors as yourselves, not seeking your own glory, but seeking the glory of God and seeking faithfulness to Him. So as we conclude, I just want to challenge you with these two things, this framework for the Christian life, that you're to have a mindset of grace and forgiveness of the gospel that God has given to us, that you're to hold it before yourself and you're to hold it before others no matter what they have done, to remind them that their baggage is gone in Christ and that's your mission, the greatest commandment, what you are to do this year and every year is to seek the, to love the Lord your God and to seek to love others as you love yourself. I can't tell you how this will work out specifically for you. And so my challenge to you is that you would take this week to pray, you and your family, and that you would set resolutions. Again, there, this occurs in Scripture. Paul says, I'm seeking, I'm going forward, I'm trying to move forward, I'm setting goals, I'm trying to be like Christ. 
And so I challenge you to this year, you and your family, think about, men, lead your family in this. How will you be more like Christ at the end of 2012? This is to be led out with a mindset of grace, of the gospel, and of the mission, to glorify God, to obey him. So in a minute, Stephanie's going to come forward, and we're just going to spend some time singing, but I would invite you, if you'd like to, just to remain seated and pray. This is what I've been doing with this, is just trying to pray and ask the Lord, what specific things would you have me to do? And so I would invite you to pray. Most of all, I do ask and challenge you, take this week, take the time, seek it. God, what do you want us to do this year? What are the specific things? So if you've heard the gospel for the first time this morning, or maybe you're visiting with us, you've heard the gospel multiple times, but it's convicted you. You need forgiveness. I would invite you to come talk to one of us after the service. Indicate on the back of your card. We'll contact you. But we'd love to talk with you more. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace. Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and that you enable us to serve you. You enable us to love you with our whole hearts, our minds, our strength. We praise you, God. You're so kind so generous. Lord, may we be this generous people who extend grace to others, hold it before their faces at all times that they are forgiven in you. Lord, help us to love you and help us to love others as we love ourselves. Lord, to be faithful to this gospel of grace. Lord, lead, our, lead us in how to do this. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.